RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer. As always, we are so happy to have you here to listen to this thing we call, yes, you're right, a podcast. Really excited about today's guest, and it's uh, somebody who's been in a lot of places in professional wrestling and has a lot of stories that isn't a common name. I'm talking about David Kid Cash, and we're looking forward to talking to him. He rarely ever does podcasts, so we are looking forward to getting his story, and it might surprise you how many places he's been and how many things he's done. So without further ado, welcome Kid Cash to City Ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, I am happy to have this week on City Ringside a man who doesn't do a lot of these podcasts, but I'm glad he's hopping on with us this week. Uh, I discovered in my uh, research to talk to uh, Kid Cash, who's our guest this week, that Kid Cash, you are, and you didn't know this, you, you didn't realize this, you are the only person in the history of professional wrestling to hold a championship in ECW, the XWF, WWE, and TNA. So with that uh, big buildup and that big fact, welcome to City Ringside. Glad to have you. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. I didn't, uh, yeah, you, you, uh, you threw that out. I didn't even know that. Well, but I guess you could also, while we were doing the XWF, I was also the WWC light heavyweight champion too when we were doing the Puerto Rico. Uh, they bounced the check on me, so I don't really count them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they bounced everybody's check. Do you get, you get your money? I did not. I don't uh, think I did. No. Love Carlos, no. but uh, but but uh, you know they 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 do, <laughs> they do things differently there. Let's just say. And I even as soon as I land, I've told the story before, but real quick, as soon as I land, the first place I went was a check cashing store and cash cash the check because everybody warned me. So I cashed the what? check, and um, you know it wasn't huge as you can imagine. You you were there, didn't you? Go for the uh, for the XWF anniversary show. Were you there? In Puerto Rico, remember we did. They did a feud with uh, XWF versus uh, WWC. Were you part of that at all? Well, yeah, I won their their WWC title while I was there. No, no, no. But they did a specific feud showing our old tapes, and then um, have yeah. It, yeah, okay. Yeah, so you're we, part of that. Yeah, I was a part. I was wrestling uh, Eddie Cologne. That's right. So pretty much the. Um, I was there. Yeah. So that was the uh, that was the 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 reason I was over there because normally they don't pay in Puerto Rico for an English ring announcer, <laughs> but I was the heel English ring announcer who had to roll around and blow up in about thirty seconds with the the, the baby face referee, and uh, right. so, so I got uh, I'm still blown up from that man. I, I, I have I've, <laughs> if I didn't have respect, which I always did for what you guys do in the ring before that, I mean I literally after thirty seconds of just rolling around, I felt like I just like uh, ran eight football fields, but. Um, that's it's a lot. It's it, it's it's a totally different animal than running or being on a treadmill or anything else. But but we digress. So so I run to the check cashing store because everybody tells me stories. If you wait, and I get the money, they cash the check, and then the check bounces. And so not only do I not get my money, but I have to pay back the check cashing store. Oh my god! In that case, it's a good thing my payoff was small. But uh, yeah, I did. I never. I didn't even really think about it. I mean, because you know, I was under contract with XWF. So I was getting a weekly paycheck anyway. So, yeah. I mean, it just, it, I, I already knew about Puerto Rico. I was kind of a, a, you know, I figured since Jimmy and Hogan and everybody was involved with that, then the nasty boys that they would, <laughs> you know, you know, just because of those guys. But, uh, yeah, evidently they, they don't even care about that. So, I didn't even worry about it because I knew that whenever I came home, I was going to have a check in the mail anyway, you know? Yeah. You were one of the few talents. There was, I think three, uh, that, that were on a retainer, uh, for WC, other than the, the office talent, other than, uh, you know, like, uh, the nasty boys and, 
and Greg Valentine that also worked in the office, but um, and, and myself. But you're one of the few. We're going to get there, but since you brought it up, you're sort of a Jimmy Hart guy, like I I was. Um, how did how did you enjoy the? We'll just jump right to it. How did you enjoy the XWF, and were you disappointed when nothing happened with it? Yeah, I was real disappointed. I thought that it had like tons of uh, potential. You know, uh, we had uh, you know some of the 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 well-known guys, you know, the older guys, you know, from the WCW and WWE days, you know, the nasty boys and, uh, Hulk Hogan was throwing his two cents in there. And, you know, so, I mean, we, we, we had a good, a good solid dressing room, you know, even with uh, big Ian Harrison, you know, um, I didn't see any flaws in it. I just, I, I was kind of shocked that it didn't get uh, some sort of TV. Well, the, the flaw was that before we could even be done editing the tapes, to go send them out to try to get a network impress. Vince had taken Jerry Lawler, uh, Mean Gene, Bobby Heenan, Kurt Hennig, Hulk Hogan, and I think Piper back, but definitely the the first five or six. But uh, so you yeah. know we had a bunch of great tapes with episodic stories of guys that weren't there anymore. So yeah, uh, we also had a really good uh, light heavyweight crew too. Yeah, know? you did. Uh, yeah, AJ Styles before TNA started and he became Christopher Daniels, uh, low yeah. key under a different name. Uh, you, uh, Hooventude, yeah, Psychosis. Yeah, we had a pretty much <laughs> the whole WCW crew. Yeah, WCW. And yeah. then later, you know, the whole really, I, I, I'm not taking credit for it, but good talent is good talent. Really, the whole TNA crew from the get go, uh, you know, AJ and yeah. Christopher and, 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 uh, and you and and a bunch of other guys. Hey, um, but yeah, any any memories of being on the road with Brian Nobbs as your boss? Did he ever give you a hard time after the shows? Just you know, because Nobbs has a bunch of drinks and he does never that. Gave me too, yeah, he never gave me too much of a hard time. I wouldn't have taken his shit anyway. You know, what I mean, which you know, is why which is he, why he didn't give you a hard time. By the way, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I met him like a long, long time ago. When whenever I was you know, coming in with Ricky Morton, you know, and for a period there for probably about two, maybe three years, I was actually tag teaming with Ricky on the road, uh, doing the new rock and roll express, you know, cause anytime him and Robert would get into a, you know, a little fight and argument and not talk to each other for however long, you know, then I would step in and be his tag team partner, you know, I was going to ask. I met Brian. Yeah. But I had met Brian years ago and, uh, it was a long running uh, joke on him, evidently. I mean, I, we couldn't understand. I still, whenever I told Ricky about it, he was like, "He that sounds a bitch." Believe that for all that time, and I'm like, "Yeah, evidently he did." But we told him a long time ago. Whenever I first got, you know, hooked up with Ricky and was training under Ricky and stuff like that, you know, we wrestled those guys one night, and he's like, "Yo, this kid's pretty good, Ricky. What's the, you know, who the fuck is he? What's he, you know?" And he goes, "Oh, that's my boy," and he took it as. I was his literally his son. Son, yeah. <laughs> and he was just looking at both of us, you know, Ricky and this blonde hair, blue eyes. I got blonde hair, blue eyes, both about the same height, you know, and stuff. Wrestled the same style because Ricky was training me, you sure. know. So I just kind of picked the style up. So we went about uh, our fifteen. Well, when we went to XWF, uh, what fifteen years, something like that. Later, we were, we were sitting in the dressing room down there in uh, Orlando and uh, just talking. And uh, Nobbs was, you know, of course, being Nobbs. And I guess, yeah, where's, where's your, don't shut your fucking mouth. I'll tell your dad. And I was like, <laughs> my dad. He goes, yeah, Ricky. And I was like, Ricky who? And he was like, Ricky fucking Morgan. And he's like, your fucking dad. And I was like, dude, he's not my fucking dad. <laughs> he was like, what do you mean? You told me he was your fucking dad. I was like, no, Ricky said I was his boy. <laughs> he was like, all these fucking years, I thought you were died and put you the fuck over as Ricky Morton's fucking kid. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, so for 15 years, he thought I was, and every time I saw him, you know, he would always call me, you know, Ricky, or, you know, little punky and stuff like that, you know, but I thought it was just because he trained me, but, no, he legitimately thought that I was his son. How, how did you meet Ricky Morton? I met Ricky a long time ago in Wayne, where I'm from, uh, Waynesboro, Virginia. Uh, there was a, a guy up there, uh, Doug Ward, Marvin Ward, and uh, he would run indie shows, and uh, he he would run good shows. Uh, 
he would bring in a lot of guys, but on this one particular, when I met Ricky, he brought the Rock and Roll Express. He brought Tim Horner, the Road Warriors, Killer Kyle, Terry Funk. Wow. And, and yeah, he brought in a couple of other guys from the Smoky Mountain. Remember the, the Smoky Mountain Territory? Yeah. He uh, brought a couple of those other guys in too. Dirty White Boy, I believe. And um, Doug. Bobby Blaze. Yeah, he had a really big show, and he would run, like, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So these guys didn't mind working for him. But sure. I just met him. I was in the gym working out. And um, whenever I was working out, the, the guy came in to promote the show, you know, hanging posters up, stuff like that. And he just approached me. You know, back way, way back then, I used to be told all the time that I looked like Owen Hart. And uh, so the guy, he just walked up to me, and he was like, hey, what's your name? So I told him, he was like, dude, anybody tell you you look like Owen Hart? And I was like, yeah, a few people, (laughs) you know. He's like, well, I'm running, I'm having a show down here. You you need to come down, check it out. And I was like, nah, I'm good, you know. Uh, I was never, you know, I I would watch wrestling as a kid, but I was never really a huge fan of it. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, I would. I was more into box. I was boxing at the age of seven. You know, my dad was a boxer, so I was boxing at seven. So those are the kind of sports that I was kind of into, you know. And um, so I, you know, he he kept pestering me and pestering me. Finally, I just said that I would. And I saw his poster, and he had the Road Warriors, and I was like, oh shit, these guys! I know who these people are. You know, I thought NWA was in town. You know, because that's what I grew up on. And, um, so I, I literally, I went down, me and a couple of friends, we went down and the, the guy was like, letting, you know, pulled us into the dressing room and stuff. It was introducing me to everybody. And I just started talking to Ricky and Ricky was just really super cool. You know, he was just, uh, if you've ever talked to Ricky, you can have any kind of conversation. Ricky can talk to a bum on the street. He can talk to a cab driver. He can talk to anybody. Sure. And we just had great conversation, you know? And, um, you know, he was kind of, he was like, man, he said, you're, you're pretty buff, you know, you're good looking kids, you know, look like a young Fabio, you know, because I had the long hair. And then then he brought it up. He was like, anybody ever told you you look like Owen Hart? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, a lot of people. And he's like, yeah, man, he goes, you ought to, you ought to think about this. And I was like, I don't know. So he actually gave me his card and um, watched the, the show. I went actually to the show the very next night and the very next night and basically hanging out with those guys, you know, right. uh, hanging out with them and the road warriors. Uh, they just liked me and we were just all having a good time together, you know, so hanging out, just chilling. And, um, so after they left and stuff, a couple of months went by and I was just, uh, having a really bad day at work one day. And, uh, I just, I don't know. I just didn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> you know, didn't want to be in that field anymore. So, uh, I, I just, found his card and I called him and we talked for about an hour. And by the end of the conversation, I hung up the phone, called my, my mom, my brother and sister. And I told them to come pick, you know, come to my apartment. They came and I was like, take anything and everything you want. Just don't leave anything. Put notice in, told my dad I quit. Uh, got my last check, packed my entire car up with all my clothes. And I drove to Johnson city, Tennessee the same night. Wow. Take a chance. He put now check this out. He put me up. He got me put up in uh, Hampton, Tennessee, which is outside of Johnson City uh, with Crystal. uh, I can't remember what her last name was. But in that house, there was like uh, she was like guys from the Smoky Mountain wrestling. Right. uh, Come and stay and stuff like that, you know, until they got themselves settled into an apartment, you know, because they had just signed with Smoky Mountain. Well, Glenn Jacobs, of course, we all know Kane. Right. He was there, and uh, Anthony Michaels, and uh, God, who else was it? Uh, oh, yeah, uh, D'Lo Brown was there, and uh, God, New Jack. New Jack, yeah, he was in and out of there. Um, so, yeah, so I, I stayed there for probably about a month and stuff, and Ricky got me on the road with him. I mean, I didn't even go to a wrestling ring and train. I just got in the car with him. And we drove, and uh, whatever town they were at, I watched their matches, sold their gimmicks, and carried their bags. And I did that for about a year straight. And then one day, you know, I was in Arkansas, and um, the, the opportunity hit. Greg Valentine didn't show up. 
uh, to, to the show. <laughs> no, yeah, no kidding. They needed, yeah, <laughs> right. So they needed somebody to uh, fill in, and uh, by that time, I had gear and I had a name and everything like that. And Ricky was like, "Hey, let's do it. It's your time." That's how it all started. I understand where the Morton part came in. Uh, you also use the last name Jericho. Uh, is there any rhyme or reason well, behind that, that was, or just a coincidence? No, it was just a coincidence. That was actually my first name, uh, and me and Ricky came up with it. Uh, this is before we, I had ever, or even Ricky had ever even heard of uh, Chris Jericho. This is like 1990, 1990, 1991. And um, we are just in the car one day, and, you know, we are talking, going to a show, and, you know, one of his shows, and you know, we just started talking. He's like, "You need a name." And I was like, "I got a name." <laughs> now nah, it's boring. You need a good name. So we just started came coming up with names. You know, the Taurus went by us, and we was like, "Taurus Cash, David Taurus." You know, and then we saw, you know, just just different cars and signs and stuff like that, and was just throwing names out there. And we rode by a Jericho uh, Temple Shrinery. You know, Shriners. Yeah. The Jericho Temple. Yeah, yeah. We rode. We were on the interstate, and we rode by a Jericho Temple that was on the side of the interstate, and it was, you know, just a big, crazy-looking building, you know. But it said the Jericho Temple, and I was like, I was like Jericho, and he looked over at me, and he goes, "What'd you say?" <laughs> I said Jericho, and he was like, "Okay." He goes, "That's that's different." So we started throwing Jericho. Jericho Cash and uh, David Jericho and then just Jericho and just, you know, different scenarios. And by the time we hit the town that he was in, I think we were going to be in Morristown, Tennessee, and we pulled into the parking lot. And he goes, David Jericho sounds good to me. What do you think? I was like, well, do you think it's good? And he goes, I like it. Now I have to find so that. that was like now I have to get with Chris and find out how he came up with that last name because I I would be shocked if it was from a Shriners Temple, but it might be. <laughs> no, yeah, but that's that's legitimately how he came up. I with believe. The name. I hadn't even yeah I hadn't even heard of Chris at that point. You know, uh, neither Ricky, and uh, like I said, this was like 1991, and um, yeah, I think I didn't even know who Chris was until like 94, 95, somewhere around there. It's about the first time I heard of him. And they actually came down to uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling with Lance Storm. Right. And they were the thrill seekers. Right. That was the first time I'd even seen or heard of him. So you go to ECW in uh, 1999, which was towards the end of the ECW promotion. How, how was that? Did you sort of, when you took the gig, did you sort of know that the end is near or, or you thought, hey, I just signed up with a national TV company? Uh, I was actually there in 1996. I wrestled there for a year as Davey Morton Tyler Jericho. And then I broke my leg. Um, oh, I read that I in a Hurricane or something. No, I, I came home from ECW, and uh, as soon as I got off the plane, uh, this was on a Sunday, as soon as I got off the plane, uh, a guy called, and, and crazy enough, you want to hear something funny? <laughs> a guy that was about 50 miles outside of Johnson City called me, and he goes, hey, I need somebody to fill in. Could you help me out? And I'm like, I don't know. I just got, you know, I just got home. He goes, well, I'll take care of you. He goes, Greg Valentine didn't show up. <laughs> Swear to you, that's a shoot, bro. That's a shoot. That's the second time that I've taken two shows for Greg Valentine whenever he wasn't going to know show in my career anyway. And uh, But yeah, but that one turned out to not be good because I actually wound up wrestling the promoter. Um, and we were in, the, uh, in a, an arena where they were going to have a rodeo the next week. So they had laid that, you know, big mounds of dirt and stuff like that, real thick and deep, you know. So the ring was in the middle, and, you know, the big dirt was on the outside, no nothing on the outside other than six inches of dirt. And uh, so we were having a, a decent match, you know. The guy wasn't very great, you know, but he was basic and it was working. And I gave him a couple arm drags, and he rolled outside, and he told the ref for me to give him one of those uh, – high cross bodies off the top like I was doing in ECW. Mm -hmm. So I figured, well, this guy's, you know, kind of big and 
kind of fat, you know, so he can definitely catch me. So, you know, it was the only high flying spot of the whole match, you know, everything else was just very old school, you know? And, uh, so I just went up there and did my thing. And as I got up in the air and I came down, he, he I was, he just looked up at me and then he turned to the side. Like he was scared that I was going to hit him in the head, <laughs> you know? And, uh, whenever he went down, I went to brace myself with my leg, which I, I had done before and, uh, it worked out, but I forgot that the dirt, was fresh you know what i'm saying sure it was still soft it was still deep so I, I stuck my leg out there to brace myself and whenever i did my foot just kept going straight down into the dirt you know and then by that time it hyperextended and broke my my tibula my fibula my ankle and my kneecap so i was out for a bcw for about a year i went back in 1998 actually, uh, and stayed until, what, 2000, <coughs> whenever they shut down. Yes, sir. Um, but, you know, we didn't know. None of us knew anything, by the way. So, um, we, Paul didn't tell us anything, nothing. So we went all the way up until the last very days that the doors were open and still didn't, still believing that there was an ECW until we all were sitting down one night and we turned on the TV and Paul was on Monday night raw. How surprised were you when you found out that, uh, that Vincent Paul had been, uh, working together for a little while. We are, we already knew that. Oh, you knew that. I, well, I, yeah, I already knew. I mean, I don't know if, how many other people knew, but I knew Rob knew, you know, Sabu knew, you know, we all knew cause he, Vince was paying our paychecks. Ah, um, I was under contract and Rob was, you know, the guys that were under contract were getting paid through WWE and the guys who weren't under contract were still getting paid off the gates. Did not know that. That's good stuff. Hey, go, going back real quickly. Uh, when you get an injury like that, how do you drive home? I didn't. I went to the hospital. I was in the hospital for two days. <laughs> I'd have knee surgery, replaced knee surgery. I'd have a metal rod put in my tibular. It was a compound fracture. It uh, The bone actually went through the side of my wrestling boot. Ooh. So, you know, the, the patent leather wrestling boots. And it was, it was the same white boots that Ricky Morton gave me. Those were my first wrestling boots. And I made the, uh, the, uh, the EMT guy, he was going to cut my boot off, but I made him pull it Ooh. off my leg. So he had to pull it off of the bone. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then they were going to cut my outfit, but I was actually wearing one of Ricky Morton's old outfits that he first gave me. Uh, and I wouldn't let them cut it either because they were going to cut it right off of me. And I was like, no, don't do it. <laughs> so they had to pull it off uh, over and around the bone too. Oh my goodness. I hope you still have that yeah. stuff. I still, yes, I do. Actually, I still, yeah, they, they are put away. So it was worth I the pain. Yeah, man, I put those away about, uh, oh, God, 10, 15 years ago, right after it happened. That happened in 97. And, uh, no, 90, it happened right at the end of 96. So all of 97, I was pretty much healing up from that. And my first go back was to ECW. Uh, I just called them up and said, hey, my leg's better. And uh, they went to Spartanburg, South Carolina, and Charleston, South Carolina for a weekend. So they told me to come down there and they wanted to see, you know, how I was. So wrestled one more, one match with them. And they were like, okay, you're good. Come on back. Who's going to change your name? Whose idea was the kid cash name? Kid cash. Um, well, I've heard three, <laughs> heard three different stories. Uh, first it was, uh, uh, what's his name? Joey styles, uh, said that he's the one that came up with it. And then I've heard Tommy Dreamer, and then I've also heard that Paul Heyman came up with it because whenever ECW was being taped, they would produce the show in uh, Paul's basement. Right. And it was always Tommy Dreamer, uh, Paul, and uh, Joey Styles. Those are the ones who produced the show. And uh, so one night I wrestled, uh, I can't remember who I wrestled, but it was at the ECW arena. And at the end of the, at the match, uh, you know, after I won, I, I stood up on the ropes and the camera got just a straight on shot of me with my hair down 
and uh, you know that kind of thing. And somebody said, "Hey, he looks like Kid Rock." And um, is that so now? They, is they that a compliment? That. To me, I didn't think so. <laughs> I, I, I've met Kid Rock a few times, and I was not very impressed at all. Uh, but what happened was, uh, at the end of my match was the main event, right on the show, right. So at the end of the main, at the end of my match, whenever they got the camera shot on me, the video shut off. Well, when it shut off, the TV came back on, and it was a it was a video of Kid Rock doing uh, what was that Cowboy? Yeah, song Cowboy. I want to be a uh, something like yeah, something. Like, but yeah, um, the, as soon as the the video shut down, the the video MTV or whatever was on came, immediately came right on, and it had kind of the same shot of the camera in his face. And uh, somebody looked over and says, damn, he does look like Kid Rock, don't he? So that's how it all. So I don't know if Joey Styles came up with it or Paul or Tommy, but one of those three came up with the name. So I mentioned earlier that you hold the record for being the only uh – for being the only wrestler in the history of the business to hold championships in ECW, XWF, WWE, and TNA. I think you also hold the record for being the uh, shortest tenured wrestler in WCW. Tell me about that. <laughs> I believe I am. I, th I think so. Um, well, I, I, I talked to them for quite a while, for as, uh, at least a year. And, um, that's when ECW was going, you know, we, we were like, is what's going on? You know, we have shows scheduled and then some of them would get canceled and some of them would go, you know, so we were just, you know, waiting to see what was going on. Um, talking to WCW here and there, uh, Terry Taylor, talking to him a little bit, John Laurinaitis a little bit. Uh, but whenever ECW shut down, they were ready. You know, they're like, Hey, you ready? And I'm like, yeah. And, uh, Laurinaitis was like, Hey, you need to send me the hard copy of your, you know, release. And I'm like, well, well the company's bankrupted. There is no more company. So it's a Nolan point. He says, no, it's not. You got to, you sign the contract. It's still good. I actually remember that because I was, I was working as Laurinaitis' assistant at that time. And I actually remember that. Yeah. And, uh, it took me, what, a, probably two months to get a hold of Paul, finally. I mean, I, I had his number, and I called and called and called. Imagine that. Called, and he never he never would give me a call back, you know. But, see, what was going on at that time? Some of the guys, uh, I can't remember. So I think maybe uh, Steve Carino and a couple of the dudes were, were mad at him and were going to sue him because I think a couple of their checks bounced, you know, the last couple of checks bounced. Right. Um, but the thing about it was mine never did. Um, I got, I was continuously getting paid all the way up until the time that he ran the very last show. And I even got a paycheck after that last show, just one. Um, so he never, I, you know, I never, he never really owed me any money at all. <clears throat> so what I did is I left a message with uh, him and I was like, you don't have to pay me. I, I just want a release. That's all I want. You know, then I called Tommy Dreamer, uh, uh, explained everything to Tommy. And then Tommy, I think, wound up getting a hold of him for me. And uh, he finally called me. And I was like, I just need a release, bro. I want to go to work. And he was like, okay. He goes, well, I'm going to send you a uh, statement saying that, you know, you were paid, paid in full. Whatever we owe you after this is there is nothing. I was like, okay, well, you don't really owe me, you know, other than what's left on my contract. But I'm not expecting you to pay that because I know we don't have a company anymore. Right. And he was like, okay, well, just sign your name. So I signed that, and then I sent it into John, and then he sent me the hard copy of the original contract and the, the release on it, and then I sent that to John. And so you guys had me down for like uh one up for a weekend and that was through the week and um i had a dark match and then i had a tv match with uh easy money uh i think it was thunder and uh at the end of the match is whenever i whenever i came back out that was the second night and whenever i came back from the match uh john actually pulled me to the side and he handed me the contract and he says take this home let your lawyer look at it let your girlfriend look at it 
look at it, see what you think. If you like it, sign it. If not, let me know. So that's basically what happened. I took it home. The lawyers looked at it. Agent looked at it. Uh, I even had Jimmy Hart um, called him. He kind of went over it with me and everything like that. Right. And basically, I went on ahead and signed it, sent it in. Then uh, I think uh, that was at the beginning of the week. And then he called me back saying that uh, they were going to be sending me my information for Panama City. So I got my, my information in the mail, uh, got my packet and everything like that. And the day I got it, by the end of the day, I got a call back from John telling me to hold off. Something was going on. He goes, but he was going to get back to me. And uh, I was like, okay, no worries. So I watched TV the next night, and then that's whenever Shane McMahon came on. They didn't even tell you? Kind of the same thing. No. He didn't, he didn't tell me. He just said something, something, you know, something uh, getting ready to happen, I think. It's, it might be pretty big, and I'll, I'll get back to you. And uh, I was like, okay. And they did. They got back to me. Um, God, I think after that happened, it, it, about two and a half weeks went by, and finally I got a call from him. And uh, he was like, okay. He goes, um, we got two companies. Uh, we don't need but one, so we're going to keep some guys and let go of some guys. He goes, we want to keep you. And I signed a, uh, a, a a nice deal, you know, because I had a good deal with ECW, and I negotiated a pretty good little deal with John, you know. Um, I was happy with it. And um, so, yeah, I was I was pretty content with it. <laughs> and uh, next thing you know, he's he says that uh, we're, we want to keep you. Uh, Vince likes you. So what we're going to do is we're going to have you move to Cincinnati and we're going to renegotiate your contract down to, I think it was like 65,000 or something like that. And I'm like, what, what, what? <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm a grown man. I mean, you know, I have a house and I have a family, <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't just move to Cincinnati and sit in a, an apartment waiting on you to call me up, you know? Sure. And, uh, you know, so it was just something that I didn't think about. So uh, I called Jimmy and uh, me and Jimmy talked about it uh, for a good hour on the telephone. And and uh, we just came to the conclusion that, you know, that this is probably not the right time for me there. And uh, we'll, you know, with all due respect, we're, we're going to decline, you know, and that's what, what I did. I called him back and said, you know, it's just not something that I want to do. I don't want to move to Cincinnati and, you know, I don't want to leave my house. I mean, that means I would have to sell my house, right. you know, and I don't want to, I just bought it. I don't want to sell it. And, uh, you know, so I had a life in Nashville and just didn't want to give that up. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can do good business in the future, and, and which we wound up, you know, later on doing, you know, but, uh, so the w- time the XWF. Yeah. <laughs> Did WCW, uh, did your contract go through? So did Turner have to pay you what they owed you or you ended up with nothing out of the deal? I got two checks out of them and then that was it. When I turned the contract down, it was it became null and void because that was, the company got bought. Right. So basically all the contracts were going to be renegotiated anyway. And, uh, but like, you know, my, I was going to be losing quite a bit, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I just, I couldn't believe that, you know, I, I signed for one thing and then they were just going to renegotiate down to something like that, you know, and, uh, almost half, pretty much half of what I, what I agreed to, you know? So, you know, I just didn't uh, want to do that. I'm actually surprised looking back. I'm surprised. And I say this kidding, but I'm kind of half shooting surprise TNA signs you because you go to ECW, they go out of business. You go to WCW for a cup of coffee. They go out of business. You go to the XWF. They go out of business. Uh, we're at that point. Well, here's the thing about that. Go ahead. Yeah. But here, here's the thing about, here's the thing about that. Uh, TNA, I, I, whenever I was, whenever I went to WCW, okay. Evidently Jeff knew something was coming up because Jeff was there. Uh, I knew Jeff from years ago from wrestling for his, you know, his dad and for Jerry down in, you know, USWA. So he was like, Hey man, it's glad to see you here and blah, blah, blah. And all that stuff. 
Well, while I was backstage, you know, those few weeks and months up there at WCW, Jeff was kind of like letting me know that he was about to do something. Mm. That you know, so I gave him all my yeah, I gave him all my information, and he was like, "I know you haven't signed." He goes, "In case it doesn't work, in case you don't, you know, here's my number. I got something that's about ready to, you know, start popping." Interesting, like, okay, because great, you know. that's the first that I've ever heard anybody say that uh, Jeff Jarrett was planning on doing something on his own before the official announcement at WCW. I'd, I'd love to get Jeff Jarrett on. He's a, a yeah. WWE employee now, so probably not going to happen, but uh, I could try. Yeah. But that that's interesting. He, he, was, yeah, he was asking um, uh, Easy Money as well. Easy Money, because he came down from ECW. And uh, he, he was talking to him too, you know. And because uh, uh, Easy came up and asked me, he goes, hey, do you know Jeff was going to do something? I was like, I don't know if he's going to do anything. He just said he's got some stuff, you know, that may be happening, but he didn't say what, you know. And, you know, in this business, how many people tell you that yeah, it yeah. never happens? Yeah, yeah. No, I got you. And you know, so you always take it with a grain of salt anyway. Well, Jeff, but the cool thing that happened with that whole thing, the cool thing that, ha- the cool thing that happened for me was I might have lost out on the deal with WCW, okay? But when I, I signed with uh, XWF immediately, pretty much right after that, it wasn't, what, a couple of months after that whole thing happened and Jimmy started getting stuff together, you know? Plus, I was working over in Puerto Rico. I was working over in the UK a lot and stuff like that, you know, down in Mexico. I was staying very busy. And uh, so Jimmy asked me about the XWF. Um, we, of course, I, I went with him. I got a contract with him. And who who was it? The QDC that was uh, owned it? It was uh, it was a combination of uh, Kevin Harrington of Shark uh, Tank fame uh, and a guy named Lud Denny, who uh, uh, was made it big in China in the uh, communications business. Okay. Remember Lud well, Denny? He's the one who looked like uh, 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 who's yeah, the big- who, who's that comedian Jerry that uh, the long hair that used to scream that that yeah? Sam Kinison. He looked like Sam Kinison. Yeah, I, re- I remember him. Yeah, he had he was real big. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, well, husky. Yeah, I remember. But, but, but what happened was, I signed a contract with those guys. Okay, and Jimmy negotiated it for me, and he got uh, a no compete clause to it. Okay, so when we quit filming, I signed like I think it was for two years or something like that. And um, so when the company quit running shows, I kept getting paid. Yeah, I kept getting paid. For, the whole entire time. Yeah, you got so paid I'm longer than we did. Paycheck and he, yeah, I got paid all the way to the very end of my whatever my deal was. Yeah. Um, but in that time, I didn't already sign with TNA as well. So I was working for TNA, getting paid every week, and I was also getting paid every week from XWF for like two years after the company, you know, quit running. Yeah, because uh, you guys, you had a contract, and everybody else who worked in the office was just on a handshake deal. So, uh, so when they cut me loose and knobs and Jimmy and all that, uh, I was the head of talent relations. So uh, I was the one who had to figure out what was going to happen to you. And they said, "Oh no, we're going to have to pay him the other contract." I was like, "Son of a bitch!" <laughs> I know. Yeah. So I mean, I it, it, I, I was between both companies. I was all. Uh, equaling up to about the same amount that I was losing in WCW. There you go. In 2019, shirts shouldn't wrinkle, itch, or sweat. And Twillery makes stocking up your closet as simple as restocking beer in your fridge. Easy, affordable, and the perfect fit guaranteed. They offer non-iron, untuckable, and performance dress shirts for as low as $55 each when you bundle four or more. And with free shipping and returns, try on some Twills risk-free after all, feeling is believing, and feeling is believing. As I told you last week, I got my shirt, the untuckable style, and this thing is cool. And when it's 100 degrees with 100% humidity in Tampa, Florida, where I live, of course, it's great just to throw on my shirt to go see a client or for a night out to dinner with the family. Let me tell you about Twillery. Twillery is built on a century-old family manufacturing business. They still make millions of shirts a year for leading brands and leverage those contacts and their team's technical know-how to keep costs down 
while maintaining the high standards and quality and craftsmanship. And what a value you get. I am enjoying mine tremendously, as I mentioned. And their shop in bundles model gives guys access to shirts that the competitors are selling for $100 plus for only $55 per shirt. You get free shipping and returns and free brush nickel collar stays included with each shirt. So your collar always looks its best. Got beautiful packaging, stellar customer support, and pre-printed return labels in the box in case you want to return them. I am definitely going to order more shirts, and I'm looking forward to trying some of their performance shirts. Safe cotton, better than non-iron, and the Friday shirt, which feels like a polo, but looks like a dress shirt. For $25 off your first order, be sure to go to twillery.com slash ringside. That's twillery, T-W-I-L-L-O-R-Y dot com slash ringside. Get your $25 off and enjoy your cool, comfortable shirts. Twillery.com slash ringside. You got to work with guys in TNA at the, your first run, like Dusty Rhodes, Roddy Roddy Piper, Larry Zabisco, a lot of legends uh, in the business. Uh, what are your memories of that? And, you know, is that something that you cherish? Absolutely. Yeah, man. I mean, I grew up on those guys. And who would have figured, you know, who would have ever thought that I would be in the ring with them, you know, actually competing with them, you know? Right. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're a wrestling fan or a wrestler and you look up to those kind of, you know, to somebody in the business and then you wind up sharing a ring with a man, I mean, it's a big time for you, you know, it was especially with like Dusty and Roddy Piper. Sure. You How- know, those two. It was amazing. I mean, Roddy Piper was, a, was such an experience, you know, because it was Roddy Piper and then Dusty Rhodes, man. I didn't have to do a damn thing. You know, I was so used to calling, you know, my, the entire match with the boys that I was wrestling there. And when, and, but the cool thing about it was wrestling Dusty was the way I got brought into business. Ricky didn't let me call spots for ever. You know, he made me call them in the ring, you know? So when we got up, whenever I had that little angle with Dusty uh, and even Piper, I mean, we didn't call anything. We just just wrestled and I listened to whatever they told me in the ring and just performed it, you know, and it was just, and whenever those guys come to you at the end of the night, you know, and they shake your hand and they're like, kid, that was a great match. Thank you so much. You know? And I'm like, wow, man, you know, I got, I got this guy actually giving me a compliment when he don't even have to, you know? So I never took you as, I never took you as the kind of person who would be intimidated. You're a pretty confident guy. Uh, by the time I met you, at least, um, at, w- w- was it intimidating to be in the ring with guys like Piper and Dusty Rhodes? I wasn't. Well, I mean, a little bit because I was, they were just different, but you got to understand when I, when I first got in the business, uh, I was with Ricky and Robert. Right. Okay. So the, everybody that I wrestled for like the first two years, were all names. I wrestled the Bushwhackers, my third match ever. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I wrestled Wahoo McDaniels, my first match ever. You know, uh, I wrestled. I wound up wrestling Wahoo McDaniels like ten times before he died. You know, I wrestled the Bushwhackers. I wrestled uh, the Moon Dogs. I wrestled JYD before he died. I wrestled. Wow. Uh, God, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've all those years. I mean, I got to wrestle all of these these guys that were already on TV, Jake, the snake Roberts, you know, after he left WWE, one of the, one of the many times, you know? Um, so yeah, just traveling around with Ricky and Robert the first couple of years, I wrestled nothing but old names, you know? So it wasn't the fact that I was intimidated or I was, I was just more worried about what they thought. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, uh, you went to WWE. You guys finally did some business together. Um, and uh, almost everybody that I talk to about this podcast or just in general to, you know, talk to you on the road uh, says that I've, I've never been in WWE, but they say it's a totally different animal, corporate culture, totally different than WCW or TNA. Uh, did you notice that when you when you went there? And uh, did you consider that a positive or a negative? I did notice it. Uh, it wasn't. It was a completely different world. Uh, yeah, corporate culture all the way. Uh, but the stage, the the 
production was so much bigger. Um, I mean, I, I saw the WCW, I saw the TNA, I was there for the W stuff for the ECW. Uh, all around, uh, the production level was by ten. You know, it was crazy. As soon as you walk in the door, you're stepping over cables as big as your arm. You know, wow. uh, trucks. There's like five trucks out there in the back. <laughs> you know, with the big satellite dishes on the back of them. I mean. The, the light show is amazing, you know, and, and they, they were very strict, you know, on everything, you know, there was rules that, you know, and if you didn't know, then you learned real quick. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, they had dressing room etiquette was huge up there. Um, you just didn't go in and prop your feet up. You know, you didn't just walk in the dressing room and, you know, get comfortable, you know, and, Hell, John Laurinaitis came right up to me when I signed, and uh, he was like, glad to have you here, kid. It's about time we finally got you got you in here. I'm like, yeah, and he goes, he goes, well, you know the first rule around here, right? Anybody told you the first rule? And I said, well, I was like, I, I, I'm kind of figuring there's a lot of rules. I was like, why don't you clue me in on the first one? He goes, don't buy anything big the first year. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I gotcha. <laughs> okay. I was like, in other words, don't get comfortable. Yeah, exactly. He goes, oh no, you never get comfortable. So you know, not even the big nieces, not even the guys that have been here. Teaching. Well, look at look Arn Arn after uh, uh, Arn Anderson as a producer after so many years uh, recently left. So yeah, I, I guess nobody could ever be comfortable. Um, you know, Jr. for so long, and 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 he's gone. Um, what are what are your some of your positive memories of uh, of WWE and uh, and and why'd you leave it ultimately at the end? Uh, what's that? You just broke up. Oh, me. sorry. What are what are your what are your positive memories of WWE and then of your time there? And then what? Why did you ultimately leave? Um. Well, all my memories are were good. Uh, I mean, just to know that you were good enough to be at that level is all I really needed in life. You know. Is, as far as my career goes. So, yeah, I mean, it was a great memory uh, uh, just being there. And so uh, what happened at the end? It just uh, didn't work out or did you request a release? Did they request a release? How'd that happen? Uh, well, no, uh, I, my contract ran out. I only originally signed two years with them and um, the ECW brand was going on. Now, here's the thing. Whenever I signed on with them, there was talk about putting me in the ECW brand. Right. Then Vince himself was like, no, I want to keep him uh, a WWE brand. So that's what we did. They put me on SmackDown. I won the title. You know, I had a good push. Then put me with Jamie. We were the Pitbulls and stuff like that. Well, then the thing happened, uh, Gary, uh, Gary, uh, Gary Wolf, Greg, yeah, Gary Wolf from the Pitbulls. Sure. ECW. Yeah, he, didn't you know he didn't want us using the name Pitbull, so he was sending uh cease and desist of the name and all that stuff for like a year and uh just one day we came up in the dressing room and uh we were gonna go we were actually going to the pay-per-view i think it was no way out we were going to win the titles from uh the hooligans uh paul london and brian kendrick uh john larnice came to the dressing room and he was like hey uh new new plan uh, we're breaking up the name. We're going to run it for a little bit. He goes, uh, Cash, you're going to go to the ECW. And Jamie, eventually you're going to go be an agent. And that's what was said. And uh, so I was like, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll go. But I thought you didn't want me to be that. And he was like, well, we do now. Well, then I started looking at what was really going on. All of the original ECW guys were coming in. And then they were running for about maybe six months and then they were just kind of just disappearing. Right. You know, so I was seeing a little bit, I don't know if it was writing on the wall. I don't know, maybe if I was reading it the wrong way or not, but I was thinking, oh shit, I'm, I'm an original ECW guy. So, uh, I just don't know about this. So I just told John, I was like, I just, you know, I'd rather not go there. You know, I was like, you know, it just doesn't make any sense at this point, you know, for me. So he was like, okay. 
but uh, let's do something else. Uh, I sent it home for, what, about a month, and then I got a phone call from him, and he goes, is there anything you want to do? And I was like, well, I mean, I don't want to go to ECW. <laughs> I don't want to do, I don't want to leave, you know, the company that way, you know. Right. So he was like, okay, I'll get back to you. And he didn't get back to me uh, for a couple of weeks. And about that time, he called me, whatever he did call me, he was like, my contract's going to be in, in like the next 90 days. So we just put out the contract and uh, that was it. Do you think you broke rule number one? No. I know I don't I don't think I ever got comfortable with anything because I mean I didn't hang out with the guys that much or anything like that. Uh me and Jamie did because we were a tag team. But sure. we didn't you know really hang out together or nothing like that, you know. So we we rode together, we stayed at the same hotel, but we didn't go hang out at the bar together and stuff like that. Jamie was he liked to drink <laughs> a lot. So I wasn't that way, you know. I would go to my room and you know, chill out and stuff like that and be fresh for the next day, go to the gym, you know, whenever I wake up. Sure. So, yeah, I didn't get comfortable with anything. I just kind of kept to myself, you know, mainly and um, outside of the, the dressing room. But whenever I was in the dressing room, you know, everybody knew me, you know, already. But the day I walked in the dressing room, Undertaker was like, God damn, I didn't think you would ever get here. You know, and I mean, just all of the guys that I've known all over the years, you know, uh, Steve Austin, uh, just all of them, DDP, Booker T, all of them. You know, they were like, damn, we was wondering when he was coming. About damn time. You know, so I never had any problems with anybody. Everybody was always nice to me. Uh, never got ribbed, you know, never got shot on, you know. So, yeah, I had a good time there. Cool. Recently, I didn't want to leave the company that way. I just, you know. No, I understand. You're, you, you've always come off to me as the kind of guy who likes to, to, to write your own story. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's not that I don't agree with, but the thing about, I found out about WWE is the, the writing team really didn't put a lot into your character. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're going to write for somebody's character and write angles for them and, you know, promos and stuff, then you, you should do a little history on their character, right. you know? And just the things that they were trying to get me to do and say on promos and stuff like that were just things that Kid Cash as a character would never say. And his fans already knew at that point, they would never say or do the things that they were wanting me to do, you know? And, you know, and like I said, the original deal when I went in was to be a WWE SmackDown brand. It wasn't going to be because they even told us back then ECW wasn't going to be around too long. They bought the company, so they got to get their money's worth out of it. That was, <laughs> that's what they were. That's what they said. That's always nice yeah, to hear, and so, then you get sent there. Well, yeah, I mean, and I heard that from the from the get go, and you know, and I was like, okay, so this, I just don't know. I was like, just be, why can't we just change our name? <laughs> you know, I mean, we can just go back to being Cash and Noble. We don't have to use the word, the word Bidbull, right? And but but you know how they are. It's like. Every, you'll have something really good going on and then, you know, one little glitch and they'll just shit can the whole thing, you know? Oh. So, uh, good, nice to hear that you enjoyed your run there and no hard feelings parted good ways. Um, uh, you made, uh, in 2008, about 10 years ago, you started, uh, uh, in MMA. What made you at an advanced age? I don't want to say that you're old, but, uh, you know, you've been in the business 20, 25 years by then. What made you want to uh, to make the jump into mixed martial arts? Uh, that's not when I started, dude. I started whenever I was 10 years old. Um, I'm a black belt <laughs> in uh, keto. I'm a blue belt in Krav Maga. And I also have another blue belt in uh, Muay Thai. I've been training since I started boxing at seven years old. My dad was a boxer in the Navy. He went to the United States League out of the Navy the USBA. Uh, he went that for a couple of years. And then when he retired, I was at the YMCA uh, doing the boxing team. About 10 years old, I started taking a keto and uh, I started doing Naga tournaments and Pan American game tournaments, uh, grappling tournaments, keto tournaments, jujitsu tournaments. <laughs> I did them all for years, man, as a teenager. And uh, 
few years after I got out of high school. But when I started wrestling, you know, I had to, to put all my time and effort into wrestling. You know, if I was going to make my, make anything of it, you know, if I was going to be something, I've just never been the kind of guy that got into something and was going to just do it on the weekends. You know, I figured if I was going to do this, then I, I was going to try to see how far I could really take all of it. You know, sure. And that's just what I did. But, Is there a part a lot of times people don't, you know, go ahead. Between, and in between some of those companies, you know, I mean, when I left ECW, I did two big MMA fights. Uh, uh, when I left, uh, whenever, uh, XWF closed down, I did another two fights when right after TNA, uh, I did another fight and then, you know, I would just do fights periodically, you know, through the years, but I was, the wrestling was, was making my money. You know, I legitimately had a career of wrestling for 25 years. You know, that's the only way I got paid, you know? So the tournament and stuff were that I was doing were just because, I've always done them and that's just what I, I train for it. I still train to this day. Hey, um, when I get off from work, I'm a project manager now for a national construction company. But when I get off from work, I go to my, my school. Well, not my school, but it's, you know, go to the school that I train at and right. I do my Krav Maga classes. And then I teach and coach a, uh, an Aikido and a grappling class. And this is like five days a week, you know, and I've been doing that pretty much my, just about my entire life. I so know 2008 was just like one of the first times that I actually kind of, uh, promoted it. I gotcha. <laughs> Up until that time, I never really promoted it. I just went and did the fights because while I was wrestling, I got a lot of exhibition fights, uh, for money. You know, people would be, you know, I was taking it to my advantage. You know, there was a lot of times that in between the, you know, the big runs with WWE or, or TNA after you don't have that contract anymore and you're back down on the indies or something like that, you know, it, it really helped me out because people would call me to do an exhibition fight at an MMA event. So, hell yeah, I'll do it. You give me five grand, hell yeah, I'll come fight anybody you want. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I would do. You know, I'd be the only dude getting paid on the whole entire plane <laughs> in, in the whole building. But I'd show up, hey, there's Kid Cash, the professional wrestler, <laughs> kind of like what Brock did, you know, with the UFC. Sure. I was doing it on the lower levels. You know, I've never fought like any of the big companies, you know, like Pride or anything like that. But I fought a lot of the, the pro, you know, indie circuit, I guess you would say, you know. Do you ever wonder, given your background, uh, your dad's background, your background as a kid, if MMA would have been a, uh, as big uh you know, when you were 20 and got in the wrestling business as it is, you know, in the last couple, decade or so, you ever wonder how you might have fared going right to MMA and skipping the whole wrestling part? I would have been an MMA fighter. I probably would have never got into wrestling. Uh, you know, I did tons of tournaments and stuff, and I did make money. You know, there was a lot of tournaments that you made money on back in the day, but back in my day, you'd win 1500 bucks. <laughs> you know? Uh, and you would do that once a year, you know, cause you would only get a major, you know, a big tournament once a year. Um, and you could do, you could do the tournament scene, but you're only going to be making like 500 here, a thousand there, you know, but that was back in my day. But you know, a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of people do. Uh, a lot of the guys that I used to run with back in the early days, Eddie Golden and easy money. And, you know, guys like that, uh, when I first got started, I don't know if you remember, this is back in the early nineties. Okay, you remember back in the early '90s when uh, the barroom brawl fighting was a big thing? Sure. Tough man contest. Sure. Every bar in America, every redneck bar in America, had one of those through the '90s. They those things were huge, especially in the the mountains of Tennessee, Kentucky, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Trust me. They had them every single weekend. What I would do is I would go ahead and my girlfriend at the time, she would get online and she would, you know, kind of like look out to see what town I was going to. If there was a money paying tough man that weekend. And generally there was, well, back then, you know, it was, there's tough man's dude. You could make $2,500, even all the way up to $5,000 if you want them. Okay. And they're in bars. So she would go ahead and call ahead and we would go ahead and register my name, uh, send them like 50 bucks, you know, stuff like that for an entry fee. 
I'd do the show. I would get to the show and tell the promoter that, you know, I'm sorry, I got a family issue and I got to get back as soon as possible. <laughs> Can you put me on first match? They put me on first match. And of course, you know, you know, back then when you're getting started, $50 payoff is about all you're getting. Yeah. You know, so, or a bottle of Coke and a getting. hot dog. $50 payoff. I'd sell probably about 50. Yeah. And then I'd sell about 50 to $75 worth of pictures. And then I would shoot straight over to the bar. I would, you know, check in. And you're talking to a guy that was even, you know, I've, I've been a black belt since I was 21 years old. So, you know, I'm going in here fighting guys who are just bar guys. You know, they're construction workers. They're guys who just go to the bar every night and, you know, drink and play pool and stuff like that. You know, so nobody with any kind of fighting talent whatsoever. I used to clean up, man. I really did. And it helped so much because back in the day when you're trying to get started, you know, it could take two years. It could take three years, however long it takes for you to, to finally make it. Right. You know, or, or just to get a good, just to get a good run, but it, making driving three and four or five hours and making 50 bucks to wrestle and 75 on your pictures just doesn't pay your bills, you know, pays you gas and maybe a little bit at the grocery store, but it doesn't pay your rent, doesn't pay your phone bill, doesn't pay your light bill, doesn't pay any of that. So luckily there was those kind of things going on back whenever I first got started in the business that, you know, that actually helped me stay in the business to where I could make something of myself, you know, because if not, then I probably would have had to get a job, um, you, you know, and I would have been that guy. I would have just wrestled on the weekends and, you know, went to work during the week, you know, a little, so a little because move because they had all of what's that. No, go finish your thought. No, as you say, but because of those tough man contests throughout the nineties, dude, I made not only a living, but it also helped me continue my wrestling career. You know, a little moonlighting. Did you ever get caught? Did the promoter ever end up in the country bar? You know what? Uh, actually, they, it did happen a few times. Um, a couple of what was I was in Pikeville, Kentucky, and the promoter they they had a shitty show. Uh, not too many people showed up, so they ran the matches as quick as they could get them out. You know, and uh, yeah, so the guy wound up him and a couple of the, the wrestlers actually came down to the bar to watch the tough man contest that night, and I, I was in it. So. He was like, "Hey, I thought you had a family event." And I was like, "I did." I was, but uh, on my, whenever I left, uh, my girl called and said it was all taken care of, so I didn't have to come. My, but I didn't already wrestled. I just so I just happened to I come here. I just happened to drive by and see that there's a tough man contest. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. You ever tell that story before? Is this a is this the first time you ever let the cat out of the bag? Uh, well, like I said, the people back in the day who were with me, they know all about it. You know. Uh, but I never really told too many of those stories. I used to, I, I, a lot of people don't know. I wrestled a, a bear a couple of, for like almost a little bit of a living there in uh, Irwin, Tennessee. There was a little, um, it was like a little wildlife exhibit and stuff like that, you know, and you could do, uh, what is that? Whitewater rafting and stuff like that. Right. Well, the company had a, had a, had a bear and no teeth, no claws, no, but it was totally domesticated and, uh, yeah, so for 10 bucks, you could watch me wrestle the bear <laughs> like, with my ass. <laughs> the bear go over? Oh, yeah. You can't do nothing with a bear, bro. No, I don't, you can't do nothing with a bear. There, are, Nobody. there were bears back in the 60s and 70s in the territory days that were trained to wrestle. And they, they, they could do a little bit of spots and stuff. Have you ever seen that on video? I've never seen that on video. I didn't know about the spots, but I, I heard about... The, you know, wrestling promoters would, would have like uh, their champion wrestle a bear or something yeah. like that from time to time. It was a special event. Yeah, it know? was a special attraction. You know, Andre came in once a year. Haystacks Calhoun came in once a year and the bear came in once a year. So uh, anyway, hey, yeah. thanks for thanks for uh, coming on and uh, uh, telling us all these uh, these these stories that now you're burying your soul, Kid Cash. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm retired, so it don't matter now, right? There you go. Hey, if people want to follow you, I didn't even know that you were on Twitter, but I, I found you and followed you today. So let people know where, where what your Twitter handle is, so to speak. Uh, I think it's just David Cash, isn't it? 
I don't know. I didn't pay attention. We'll look and we'll put. I didn't either. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I, I think my, my Facebook is even David Cash, and uh, so is my Instagram. So yeah, anybody can pretty much look me up. Well, we'll put the we'll put the links in the uh, in the little description uh, when this uh, when this goes uh, live on. Uh, all the different podcast forums. So, uh, hey, appreciate you coming on. I know that you don't uh, do a lot of these podcasts, but I thought it'd be an interesting story. So, shortest tenure in WCW and only wrestler to ever have the uh, a title in XWF, WWE, TNA, and ECW. I, I've just created your autobiography for you. Yeah, uh, well, I'm also one of the few, I think one of like five guys who's actually been contracted and held titles and wrestled for all the major companies, WWE, ECW, except for WCW, but I did get contracted for WCW and uh, TNA and XWF. There you go. You're just setting records yeah. all over the place, Kid Cash. Hey, thanks for yeah. your thanks for your time and uh, stay in touch. I'll, I'll have to find a video of uh, of somebody wrestling a bear and I'll send it your way. Yeah, send it down, man. I'll, <laughs> I'll tag you on Twitter or something with the video. All right, man. All right. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you for your time. Yeah, you too, buddy. Have a good one. I want to thank Kid Cash for joining us and uh, telling us his story. If you go back and you listen to the very first edition of City Ringside, and I've done that a couple of times, back in the archives, one of the things that I mentioned I wanted to achieve with this podcast is not only have some of the huge, well-known names in professional wrestling where you know their stories, like Terry Funk, Scott Hall, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, but some of the stories of people who you may not know that much about who aren't regulars on podcasts for a variety of reasons. And so we like to have the kid caches of the world take nothing away from the career he's had. And we talked about all the records and the things that he's done. But you don't hear a lot about him, especially in this world of podcasting, and which he does not participate all that much. So uh, we're going to keep striving to bring you the Terry Funks of the world, along with the kid caches of the world and everything else in between. So you can listen to their stories. If you don't on Twitter, follow me at David Penzer. Or at Penzer Ringside, always interested in hearing any suggestions for who you'd like to have as a guest on this show or any input on the show at all. Be sure, if you don't already, to subscribe, leave a review if possible, and tell your friends and neighbors about City Ringside. Until next week, my name is David Penzer. I'm still City Ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.